Uh, I think I read that somewhere on your blog, maybe that you uh, do a little bit of guitar. I, yeah, I've been working on, um, I mean, I did, you know, years ago, decades ago, when I was young, I fooled around with it. I've been trying to learn classical guitar and taking lessons for the past uh, year and a half now. So, okay. Well, all right. So I want to make sure I understand, I pronounce your name right. Naomi Cedar. Is that right? That's right. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, Naomi, you've been like in Python for quite a while and involved in the community. And I, I think I'd be a, I, I think I'd do bad about uh, summarizing <laughs> everything you've done. <laughs> or maybe like just a quick summary. You were PSF chair from 27 or 2017 to 2020. Is that right? That's right. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what the PSF chair does. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, nor nor do a lot of people, I suppose. Um, so the the chair of the board of directors of the PSF has um, a couple of functions. For one thing, uh, that is the person that sort of serves as the point of contact and eh, kind of um, boss or maybe better partner in chief with the executive director. Okay. Um, so, you know, the, the, there has to be a mechanism to report to the board and it's not really great to have somebody like that report to 11 people or 13 people or however many it is on the board. So that's, that's certainly one function. And then the other function is to, um, help plan and organize the meetings of the board and sort of set those agendas and um, help perhaps board members figure out what it is they're there to be doing uh, uh, when they're on the board. Okay. Because a lot of that stuff really isn't obvious. Everybody thinks, oh, I'll be on the board. Now what do I do? So, you know, there's that. <laughs> well, it wouldn't be obvious to me. Sometimes I forget that there is a PSF board. So the the PSF has to have a board because of its nonprofit status. Is that right? Or, or is it just because? Yeah. Okay. I mean, I mean, it's, um, I think also just given the way that um, the Python community kind of likes to organize itself, I suppose that's the other reason. But uh, when, when the PSF was formed, I know Guido did not want to be the only person that had to do that stuff. So, yeah. Okay. Uh, and the board, so PSF, PSF and the PSF board, that's completely separate from the steering council, right? That it's, uh, yeah, I mean, or is there overlap? It kind of depends. There, there is, there is usually an overlap of at least a person or two, not always, but, but quite often, um, the, uh, executive director of the PSF does attend the meetings of the steering council. Um, I mean, the steering council is deciding things to do with the language. Uh, the PSF basically does all of the stuff that has to do with, um, with resources and things like that. So, uh, for example, in hiring the, the developer in residence, Wukash, uh, it was the steering council that, you know, made those decisions, but they had to work with the board because the board was the part, you know, the board and the PSF was where the money came from to pay them. So the PSF is also quite involved with, um, with like, for instance, PyCon and the, and encouraging community, yeah. right? 
Yeah, I mean, part of the mission is to um, sort of foster the growth of a of a diverse and global community of Python developers. So that's that's a pretty broad remit. Uh, and uh, yeah, what they what they do then is um, sponsor PyCon, PyCon US, which has historically been the biggest source of funds for the PSF. Uh, I think we're maybe getting close to it not being the largest source, but I don't think we're quite there yet. Uh, and uh, they also then give grants for uh, PyCons and meetups around the world. So uh, a lot in Latin America, Africa, uh, you know, Europe, North America, of course, starting to do more in Asia, although that's that's still kind of a, a new frontier. But yeah. Yeah, that's interesting to me. I I. I have a, so one of the reasons why I thought it'd be cool to talk with you is because you, you seem to care about the community quite a bit um, and encouraging yeah. the community and uh, diversity. Um, like for instance, um, I was su surprised to find out that you uh, were involved with starting the Charlas at PyCon. Mm -hmm. Now, I, uh yeah, it was it was kind of it was kind of an odd story because um, I had already uh, given uh, a keynote at, at Python Brazil a couple of years before, so I knew some people from the Brazilian Python community, uh, and one PyCon I think it was in 2017. One of the um, people from Brazil was complaining that. Uh, his name began with an accented capital A. And on his name tag, it was blank. There was nothing. Oh. And he's like, what? Uh, we claim to do diversity, and yet you cannot even handle an accented character on a name tag. <laughs> uh, and you know, it's like, uh, the more I thought about it, the more it's like, you know, you're really right. We should do something about that. Uh, so um, at that point, I was... I was in, you know, the the chair of the of the of the PSF, and it's like if I'm not in a position to push this along, who is? So I um, we talked a little bit, and that's when um, E. Durbin um, sort of suggested the idea of a hatchery for PyCon programs, uh, just you know, a, a a sort of structured way so that we could add things. Uh, yeah. Over the years in the past, whenever you wanted to add something, you would just go to whoever was organizing and said, I want to add this. Can I do it? Uh, and certainly I did that several times with the um, poster session and the education summit and things like that. But if you didn't know how to do that, you know, there was no process. So we, we sort of used the Charles as a way to sort of test out and explore that option. And there were, you know, several other things that were added. That's kind of uh, that process for adding events to PyCon was sort of put on a huge hold by the pandemic, of course. Yeah. So is the hatchery wow. is the idea? I don't know anything about it, but my, my I'm guessing is the idea to like allow you to try something out in one PyCon. Exactly. And then exactly. if it works great, you can keep doing it. If it doesn't, we can take it out. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. And that's it. And so there are other things, um, mentored sprints and, uh, you know, packaging summit and all of those things sort of 
kind of followed along with that um, as, as well in that process. But the 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 Charles the Spanish track was the first thing that we did, and um, I basically um, helped helped organize it. But I found a couple of people from one from Latin America, one from Spain to to be the chairs for that and they took over and um we've got you know an, another couple of excellent people running it now i haven't really um been associated with it the past year it's uh, my goal when i help start something is always that i can walk away fairly soon so that i can do something else rather than it just be me and um certainly that's worked out thanks to um you know some really dedicated people stepping up yeah actually i was just listening to a talk i think it was last year's keynote or one mm -hmm. the talking and one of the things you talked about was um uh, i guess it was a it was about the gift economy or something yes and one of the things you mentioned which i thought was brilliant which was like you should start thinking about handing off the leadership as soon as you start something or something like that um yeah exactly that's that's kind of an interesting concept that's not how most people think <laughs> well no no it isn't and i mean it's something that i think i kind of uh i don't want to say learn the hard way but i picked up i mean it is one of our um one of our big problems i think is burnout and people not knowing how to step aside and like anything else, you need to practice that. So it doesn't just happen. Um, I was thinking that even like along, even in small things, not, not big projects, but even small oh, yeah. things like at work, um, we've got a whole bunch of things that are, I don't know, there, there's a lot of people run into this, especially in software and DevOps and things of you're the only person that knows how to do something. It might be a small thing, mm -hmm. but why not think about it like, trying to document it from the start of especially maybe not from the start but maybe the second or third time you have to do something maybe i should document this so that somebody else could do it if they need need to um oh yeah and then possibly the documentation might be enough to just say you know what i'll just automate it so that nobody has to do it well yeah <laughs> um so i think i've been uh i guess what, one of the reasons why i started python people was because I, I actually just really love the Python community and I think of it as a pretty welcoming place. Uh, how much, I mean, I guess how much room do we have to grow still to make Python even better? Um, you know, it's, it's a good question there. There is still a, a lot to be done. I mean, clearly I I've been involved since, um, well, the first PyCon was 2003, and I was I was there, and I've been at all of them since. Um, we've we've certainly come a long way, and I think you know that we can we can be fairly proud that we're sort of held up as as a reference as a model for a lot of other uh, you know similar communities in terms of how welcoming we try to be. Um, that that said, there are always things that we also need, need to to be aware of and need to keep working on. So, it's um, it varies a lot depending upon where you are in the world. Yeah. Um, you know, and and there are there are always things I think that are are like oh geez we never thought about that. There there are always groups that aren't aren't there. So. 
Um, you know, the past few years at PyCon, we've actually started to do things to make things easier for people who don't hear. Okay, so we've got closed captioning and stuff like that. That's our captioning, and that's that's certainly helpful, and that's you know good. Um, I I don't you know I, I never thought about that. I actually love the closed captioning because I can oh yeah I can hear, but I don't hear that great sometimes, and so it helps. Oh yeah, I mean, and and, and it's like. Yeah, I mean, I, I know we watch all of the things that we, you know, on, on TV or whatever, we turn the captions on, even if it's in English, so that you, if you're not, you know, paying absolute attention, you can always have that second channel to catch it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it's, there are things like that. I mean, I think that we've, we've made some progress in being accommodating for um, people who are neurodiverse, however that might express itself. I mean, at least we're... Um, a lot of PyCons, PyCon US, and a lot of others now are, are taking, making sure that they have um, quiet rooms. There are the considerations with childcare and people who have kids and how we help them out. Uh, you know, handicap accessibility. There, there are all sorts of dimensions to this. Um, and there are probably some that, that still haven't really been thought through very well. Um, you know, I don't know. I mean, um, possibly in areas of religion, we're not as, as welcoming as we might think we are. Hmm. Um, I don't know. I mean, there did, it, it, it does seem to always continue. You can't just sort of step back and take a big sigh and say, done with that one. I mean, it's just never that simple, I'm afraid. Yeah. I, I, um, I guess I'm glad that we, I, you, you brought up some interesting things, actually. The, uh, uh, the quiet room also, I, I, um, <laughs> I've, I've, well, I've loved those. So it was, a, yeah. I think Pi Cascades where, um, it's everybody in one room and I actually kind of got overloaded with just hearing everybody for a while. Mm -hmm. And so I watched one of the sessions from the quiet room just to just give myself a mental break. And it was, I loved that it was there. So that was neat. Yeah. I also, uh, I guess it's good that we just keep reflecting on it um, and take feedback. Like, yeah. So how how long has the Charlo's been around? Is that a, that's not that was the first year was in 2018. Okay. Yeah, I thought it was during the time where I've been take going to to PyCons, and that's uh, I don't know what the word Charlo's means. Is that it means talk or chat. Oh, okay. I mean, it's just it's just the talks, but translated into Spanish. Okay. Do you speak Spanish? Uh, yeah, mm -hmm. I do. I speak Spanish and Portuguese, and I give talks in Spanish and Portuguese at, at various. Okay, and Portuguese is that that Brazil's a lot of yes Portuguese speaking people in Brazil, right? That the right. Uh, okay, wow. How long have you been? Did you did you grow up knowing Portuguese and Spanish, or did you learn that? No, through? I mean, I I learned some Spanish in school. The way uh, it's. Uh, no, in, in the U.S., we're we're not super good at teaching languages, but I was always interested in that. And um, then I did, um, you know, a Ph.D. in Greek and Latin um, before I switched over no to way. technology eons ago. Yeah, so uh, I've always been kind of a language nut. I just switched from one sort of funny language to the other, but then um, I I 
as being part of the PSF board, I started being asked to do keynotes in these various places. And it's like, you know, for like in Spain, it's like, geez, I used to know Spanish. How to be able to do something? So I started studying it. I don't know, yeah, like I don't know, six six years ago or something. And then a year later, I decided, well, why not Portuguese? I was sort of on a language learning kick, I guess, for a while. That's so cool. How did you? Uh, I've been. Afraid, I've wanted to to learn Spanish uh, again. I mean, I took Spanish in high school, but. You you know the American yeah, education system's not that great. It's so. Not the greatest, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, two years of Spanish, and mostly I was better at playing five card stud uh, after. That. <laughs> yeah, well. Um, so the what was your approach? Did you take like online lessons or in person or? Um, I um. Do you remember? I actually started reviewing. Uh, with um, a couple of, of different things. Um, I, I use Duolingo, which is really hard to do uh, much other than memorize vocabulary. But for that, it kind of works. And uh, I also, um, uh, Pimsleur has uh, audio tapes that you can listen to. It's pretty much strictly audio-based, but uh, it's it's been around for ages and um from back when I was a Latin teacher, Latin teachers hang out in the foreign language department at a high school anyway. So I knew that that was kind of a a thing that some people knew about. So I I used that a little bit. Those were, I mean, the, you know, listening to audio tapes I'd done when I um, sort of had to bone up on modern Greek in the eighties when we lived in Athens. And so I knew that kind of worked. So you, but you speak Greek and Latin also? Uh, well, I mean, I, I don't know these days if I could speak Latin, um, but yeah, I, 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 I could kind of make my way around in modern Greek. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. Uh, so, but in any case, the thing that helped most then was actually, uh, getting an online teacher. So I have a, uh, actually, I just had my Portuguese lesson this morning, uh, from a woman who lives in Sao Paulo and, uh, my Spanish lessons I have with a woman who lives in Madrid. So yeah, oh, that helps a lot. And that's over, over like zoom or something like that or something. Yeah. Like. There are various platforms that will hook you up. Okay. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. So then you can, um, it's not just somebody that knows the language. They actually, they speak it every day cause they live someplace that. And, really? and they know how to teach a language okay. too, which I think is helpful. I mean, it's, it's great to talk to people and I, I like doing that, but, for actually learning, it's sometimes good to have somebody who knows sort of how to do how to do it the most efficiently. I guess has experience teaching other people. Okay, now um, are you retired? I am. I retired a little over a year ago. Okay, it's something that I um, I probably should think about thinking about <laughs> eventually. <laughs> <laughs> I, I recommend it highly. I mean, but uh, yeah. Um, it's, it's like, I guess my uh, Gen X, uh, I'm a Gen Xer, and yeah. I, I just didn't occur to me that we would ever be able to retire. So, um, yeah. Well, it, it gets there. I mean, I have to admit, I'm a boomer, but it, it's, I, I didn't expect that. Somehow I expected I would never get old and never retire. I mean, <laughs> I saw it happening to other people, but I didn't think it applied to me. Um but uh, yeah, it gets there, and yeah, you know, 
I don't know. It's like one of the, uh, I, I just sort of, I don't know, beginning of 2022. It's like, you know, I think it's time. So yeah, we got that set in motion. Do you still do any PyTest training or Python training? Uh, I, I have it for about a year now and, um, a, a couple of, a couple of, of, uh, training and consulting things, possibilities have kind of come up. And honestly, once I gave them the rate, they kind of didn't come up. And it's like, <laughs> that's totally fine. I'm not going to do it unless it's really worth my time. I'm sorry. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's a, um, <laughs> I guess I did, a, I've done a few trainings and I really enjoy it, but it is a, it is a lot of work. Um, even if, even if it just, it looks like just you're there for a handful of hours or a day, oh. it's a lot more work than just that. So, I mean, I, yeah, I've done some where it's been maybe two sessions, two long sessions a day. And that then, you know, kind of translates into like really a demanding 10 hour day by the time you get there, get set up, do something, have lunch, go back and do it all over again. But that's, yeah. that's, a drop in the bucket compared to the time it takes to get the pre- the material prepared to do Oh the yeah, training. that that yeah. too, that too, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The uh so I, I guess one of the questions I had was around just location. Um you you were involved with uh Transcode Hackaday, but that was in London, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um I um for the past what I guess um 12 years now i've been sort of based in the chicago area uh first up in the up in the northern suburbs and then now down downtown uh and um i worked for um a uh subsidiary of granger ww granger the big um, maintenance repair and operations supplies company oh okay uh and uh they I, the reason I went to work for them is that they were starting an online only subsidiary and I was in charge of their tech stack, which they wanted to be in Python. Um, and, you know, what do you know? You can sell screws online really efficiently. <laughs> so they were really happy. And then they decided they wanted to do it in Europe. And um, they kind of did a split approach. They had uh, sort of the the tech side of things based out of London because in the, it's sort of been like 2013, 2014, um, London was kind of the place to be in Europe for, for tech stuff. Okay. A lot of startups, uh, Silicon roundabout, all of that. So, uh, and the company we started was in, was in Dusseldorf. So, uh, I lived over in London 2014. Um, and then, a major part of 2015. So that's when I, um, you know, it's sort of when you're sort of there and I was there on my own, my wife stayed behind. So I, it's like, well, what are we going to do? I guess I'll go to tech meetups and then, Hey, let's, let's do this thing where we focus on trans folks. So, yeah. Interesting. Did, did you, do you, uh, have you been back to London since? Uh, several times, but not since the pandemic. No. Yeah. Uh, but it's one of the, uh, we got, my wife and I got a chance to go to, uh, 
uh, Paris a few years ago. It was like right before the pandemic and, um, or slight a couple of years before. And next place she said, said, I want to go to, I want to go to London next. So try to, uh, yeah. try to fit that in sometime. I'd, I'd love to try to get, um, it's one of the reasons why I'm trying to get some training, uh, some, uh, on-site training courses ready because I'd love to have somebody pay me to go to London. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. That would be nice. So, um, well, one of the things that I, I think I noticed this on, I don't know, I think on your blog, you're about stuff said you spent some time sketching. Do you still draw? Uh, I do some, I do some. I mean, since I started focusing more on, on guitar and music, I haven't as much, but I do some, yeah. Uh, okay, more more music than just guitar? Do you play anything else? I don't play anything else. I mean, being a nerd, I had to kind of dive into music theory. So, um, okay. <laughs> yeah, we'll do that. And, 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 and it, no, I mean, and it's like music theory. I mean, it's like the circle of fifths and chords. I mean, it's like, I don't know it's nothing terribly esoteric, but it seems that yeah, even that isn't that common. When I talk to other people say studying an instrument, many of them don't seem to do very much with that, but I can't help myself, I guess. <laughs> um, I had somebody ask me to ask you about your book. Uh, you wrote quick Python book and the quick Python book. Uh, there's three editions were you is are you the author of all three editions there no actually i um the first edition was written in 1999 for python 1.5 oh wow okay uh and then in about 2008 2009 sometime around i guess it was late 2008 which was right when everything was melting down around us uh the publishers of um of the book uh basically um got in touch with me through and um asked if i would do uh, a second edition updated for python 3. And of course they were billing it as, oh, you just need to touch up a few things for this to be ready for Python 3. And in fact, that was not at all true. <laughs> um, I mean, 1999 was well before PEP 8. So there were examples that really looked like they were Java written in Python. And it was, it was just all over the place that way. I mean, it was a good book. I mean, you know, I, I'm not, not denying that at all. It was a great book, but you know, there was just basically, it was a total rewrite yeah um pretty much everything had to be looked at and then we we did uh the third edition in 2018 and uh i don't know we occasionally are now starting to talk about a fourth edition hmm. i don't know any other book topics you uh got any other books in you now that you're retired maybe have some free time uh i don't know i don't know <laughs> i uh yeah, I, I've I've been thinking more along the lines, and I've I've sort of done um, uh, started a, a, a Substack as well, sort of on uh, community related topics, sort of things about um, I don't know, I guess things that I've done horribly wrong over the years in organizing communities and how other people might not want to do those things, so something like that. Oh, that's that'd be interesting. So one of the things that I tried to do, which was hard, was to start a just a local meetup. This mm -hmm. seems like a very small, easy thing to do. 
all you got to do is get a venue and uh, a speaker or two and, uh, you know, uh, invite people. Um, how hard can it be? Turns out to be that's pretty hard, even just that. Um, yeah. Um, do you have any uh, advice for meetup uh, people starting a new meetup or anything? Well, so one of the cardinal rules, of course, is to make finding it very easy and predictable. So if you're going to do it on the third Thursday of the month, then do it on the third Thursday of the month every single time. So even if they miss the 20 emails that you sent and the 5,000 social media posts, they can go, oh, it's the third Thursday. I bet we're having a meetup. Um, and, you know, if okay. that, that, that kind of helps. But then, you know, the second part is sort of building that up slowly, I guess. And then the final thing that I found in, in, in jumpstarting something like that is um, basically um, organizing by, or not organizing, is in making sure that you sort of, I don't know, bother as many people as you possibly can. Uh, so, you know, it's sort of, oh, you're interested, fine. Uh, and if they're not interested, say, oh, but do you know somebody who might be interested? And if so, could you please put them in touch with me so that you kind of can get a, a network effect to, to get the word out? Yeah. Uh, it, it, it seems incredible in this day and age that we cannot get the word out. And yet you will swear you've covered every single option multiple times and somebody will come up from literally next door and say, oh, I didn't know you were doing that. Uh, so yeah, I mean, that's, well, I, I wish I would have, uh, actually, I wish I would have heard your talk before I even, it was, uh, before I even started trying to do, um, uh, meetups, it was the timing, you know, time change and her time. It was, it was before your talk, so I couldn't have, but, uh, but one of the things I wish I would have done was like, while I was doing it immediately start trying to get notice the people that showed oh, up every yeah. every week month and get them to help try to get people to help volunteer to do things uh, to help find speakers to help uh you know that that is exactly one of those mistakes that i made i don't know 20 years ago uh a friend of mine and i i was living in fort wayne at the time uh and I guess, to be fair, he wasn't a friend of mine yet, uh, but we decided we came together to start a, a Linux users group. And we were a couple of the original people that showed up for beers one night to talk over and do it. But then um, the two of us became the people that organized everything. Yeah. Probably for like the next eight years. Uh, and we would ask people to do it and they would kind of do it, but then not. And it would always come back to us. Yeah. And then as it happened, we both got jobs and moved away within about six months of each other. And we'd had this group that had been apparently thriving for, I don't know, eight years, something like that. Uh, and in fact, it struggled to, after that and kind of went dormant really fairly fast because nobody else was in the habit of doing those things. And it just sort of, yeah. Yeah. You know, went into hibernation until I think three or four years later, somebody else came along and 
Honestly, I think they made the same mistake. When their life changed, they moved on, it went to sleep again. I don't know what its status is these days, but it's it's something I've seen over and over again. Yeah, I'm a little, I mean, it's similar even virtually with like small little open source projects that are useful, but nobody really wants to mm -hmm. take on maintaining it. Um, and when the one, if it's really one person maintaining it, and they just don't show up to do it. It just doesn't get updated then. Uh, yeah. So, and, and it is inevitable or almost inevitable that that one person will not show up one day. I mean, yeah, I kind of, I was actually ran into this um, just recently, actually, just this week, a project that I'm depending on that I, um, I, I guess, I don't know what the process is. It's a, it's a combination of PyPI and, GitHub and all sorts of stuff. Uh, it's somebody's open source project, but it, I mean, we, we should have a process for if somebody stops maintaining something, how do we keep, keep it moving forward? Do we, I know there's a, we can, somebody can just fork it and change the name, but it's some, it's sort of too bad that we can't have some sort of, I don't know, central body that goes out and like tries to contact somebody and say, Hey, are you still around? Um, yeah, but that's anyway. Uh, is that I'm I'm sure that's happened to you, right? Where you depend on some project that just sort of goes dormant. Oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. But but then the thoughts of I don't want to maintain it either. So uh... <laughs> I yeah, honestly, I have to admit there have been a couple of times where I have I've downloaded the thing, forked it, and and you know just done the done what needed to be done but not pushed it back up i know that is horribly not communities you know but it's like you push it to the main project nobody's going to approve it i didn't have time to do that so well yeah. i was surprised that sometimes even you can't even get the permission to take over so yeah yeah the the fix i needed actually has a fix on a pull request it's sitting since right three months or something it's sitting there and and three months is probably not long enough. Somebody might just be like sick or on vacation or something. Um, but uh, at some point, it was, if it like sits there for a year, uh, I don't know, maybe somebody else should yeah. take it over. Who knows? Um, okay. Well, uh, so what is the most exciting thing, I guess, about Python still that you're in the community um, that you think about with uh, even as a retired person? I mean, I, I guess it's, um, it never fails to, to amaze me even now that how far Python has come in the past 20 years. Um, and you know, how we went from a really, you could, you could get paid for doing this sort of thing to being, um, you know, one of the top three languages in the world in terms of numbers of users and that is still going up and and all of that so i think that's that's really just incredible to me i mean it's sort of we uh we had no idea uh back in the day that that would ever happen um so that's i think that's pretty amazing yeah um I think, you know, it's sort of Python today. Um, 
I have to admit, since I'm not doing code reviews and, and, and wrestling with it every day, a lot of the technical things now seem a lot less important to me than they did. <laughs> uh, it's like it is somebody else's problem, and I'm glad we've got really brilliant people working on it, but it's not my problem anymore. Yeah. Um, I think one thing that's interesting is that it's being... Uh, sort of globally, even people are turning to languages like Python uh, as a way to find a livelihood. I think that still continues. You know, that is largely what's behind a lot of the um, like efforts to to bring on board women and, and efforts to to teach coding around the world. There are lots of countries where uh, it's starting to be seen as, you know, maybe if I learn something like this, I can actually improve my life. Um, that That is kind of cool to think about. That is cool. And it's still, even though it's starting to get more complicated, the language, it's, it is. it's still fairly easy. You don't have to learn the complicated bits right away. You can learn the easy parts first. And I still think it's a fairly easy language to learn compared to others, at least. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's a good point. There is, I think, a growing pressure to complicate the language. Um, and, you know, I, I'm not sure if we should be resisting that pressure or not. I'm not sure if we're resisting it the right amount or too much or too little. That that's a hard question to answer. But uh, just you know, following the the Python ideas discussions and things like that, there there seems to be a great temptation to elaborate it. I think that's kind of the occupational hazard of being a mature language. Yeah. Uh, what are we going to do for our next trick? Well, do we need a next trick? I don't know. Probably yes, but I don't know what it is. You've done a lot for Python in the community, and I guess just as a, uh, a representative of some of the rest of the Python community, thank you. Thank you for what you've done. Oh, thank you. Um, and thank you for taking the time to talk with me today. This was a lovely conversation. Oh, yeah. Okay. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Python People. Show notes are at pythonpeople.fm. Please subscribe to the show. You can also follow the show on Mastodon. Follow at Python People or at Brian Aachen, both on fostodon.org. This episode is brought to you by the Complete PyTest course. PyTest is powerful and easy to get started. You owe it to yourself and your team to write clean, easy-to-read tests to save you time now and during maintenance. The Complete PyTest course will get you started with good habits and teach you some cool tricks when you need them later on. Even if you already use PyTest, why not level up? With a 30-day refund policy, you've got nothing to lose. Check it out at courses.pythontest.com. Thank you, Patreon supporters. You rock. Links to the course and Patreon signup are in the show notes. If you'd like to be on the show or know someone you'd like me to interview, reach out to me on Mastodon. I'm at Brian Aachen at fostodon.org. That's all for now. Thanks.